welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. Good evening, everybody. As we continue our series called Faith for Exiles, Resistance and Resilience, we are talking, we are digging into the Bible and the part of the Bible that talks about the exile, the, the deportation where Babylon took over Jerusalem and captured people and brought them back to Babylon. And uh, this was a real historical event. This really happened. In fact, we have a map of what it looked like for the people of God to journey from Jerusalem all the way, all, close to a thousand miles to Babylon. And historically, we believe that there was actually three different deportations. Um, in 605 BC, we believe that was the first deportation when Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon. You remember we talked about Daniel a couple weeks ago. And then in 597, not quite 10 years later, there was another deportation of people from Jerusalem to Babylon. And we think Ezekiel um, was part of that. The prophet Ezekiel was deported to Babylon and his prophecy takes place during that. And then in 587, 10 years after that, was the third and final deportation. Um, and during that time, Jerusalem was, was destroyed. And so we're talking about a very tough time in the history of the people of God, where they didn't understand what God was doing. They didn't understand how he could let them be taken a thousand miles away from the land he had promised to give them. Uh, today, though, we're looking at Jeremiah 29, and Jeremiah 29 is most famous for this particular verse. You've probably heard this verse. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And we'll get into what that means, but it's important to understand that this verse isn't just a verse that you sort of pull randomly out of the Bible. It's actually a verse in the context of the exile. That's the background for this verse. So we're going to read Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll get into understanding what that means. So here we go. Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported, had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shapna, and Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The letter stated, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and gives your, your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city 
I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for, your, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your, for, your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. The word of God. Lord, we pray that you would be with the preaching of your word, that you would shape us, you would change us, and help us to become more resilient as we follow Jesus. Have you, have you ever been in a place you didn't want to be? Now, even as I say that, you probably all hear that differently, because some of you think about a place you don't want to be, and you might think about a season of life that you were ready to get out of. God, get me into that new season because I'm tired of this old season. Some of you might think about a new place you want to be and getting out of an old place in terms of a status. God, I am tired of being in this position at this job. Please may that promotion come. Um, but some of you might have literally been in a location. Like when you say, I was in a place I didn't want to be, literally you were in a geography, a location that you wanted to get out of. I found myself in that same situation in college. The college I went to had an aviation school, and several of my friends were in the aviation program training to become pilots. And so having friends who are training to become pilots means that occasionally you get to ride with them while they're trying to get hours in their airplane. So I would have friends call me and be like, hey, I gotta get hours in the airplane, can you come with me? And it was always fun. Uh, sometimes there was a little bit of trouble. You know, college students flying airplanes is exactly how it sounds. But one time, uh, my friend called me and said, hey, look, me and another guy are going to go, and we're going to fly down to Destin, Florida from Auburn, Alabama. We're going to fly to a different state so we can get ours. Will you come with me? I said, okay. So me and another buddy went with these two guys who were training to be pilots I hope they were pilots at that time. I don't know. I got in the plane with them. Thinking back on it, it seems kind of foolish. Um, but this, the four of us got into this four-seat airplane, and we flew to Destin, Florida, and we were literally just going to land and refuel and then fly right back to Auburn, Alabama. But they turned the plane off, and we refueled, and then the plane wouldn't turn back on. And here we are on a Saturday night, in Destin, Florida, hours away from Auburn, Alabama, and I don't know how we're going to get back. So we tried, you know, everything we could do, 
to start the plane. I didn't know what I was doing. I just did what the guys who were training to be pilots told me to do, and it didn't work. Something was wrong with the plane, and eventually we identified that there was something wrong with the electrical system. And after two or three hours of us sitting there in Destin on a Saturday night, I literally was teaching kids Sunday school the next day at the church I was going to, and I called uh, the other teacher. I said, look, I, I think I'm going to be stuck in Destin. Like, I might have to move here because I, I don't know how we're going to get home. We don't have a car. And we've got this busted plane. But after two or three hours, finally the plane started. Now, during those two or three hours, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get home, and I don't want to be here. I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anywhere to stay. I am stuck here in Destin, Florida. But the plane did start with a little bit of a problem. The mechanical side of it worked, but the electrical side of it wasn't really working. So like the lights on the wings were not lighting up. And there was issues with the like dashboard that was supposed to be lighting up. And when you want to get out of somewhere and you want to go to somewhere new, you can be so desperate that you'll listen to bad ideas. And the bad idea was, let's fly home anyway, even though the electrical system was not working. So we got in this plane, and my friend and I are in the back seat, and like the plane is running, we're going down the runway, but there's something wrong with the electrical system and we don't have lights flashing to warn other planes that were in the air. I'm pretty sure what we did was not legal, uh, but uh, thank you, the, the, uh, you know, the statute of limitations are gone, so I can confess this to you now. But we get up in the air, and my friends who are pilots are explaining to me that we're kind of flying through the night, and we don't have the systems we need to really navigate, so they're just kind of winging it, literally. And at one point, they turn to us in the back, who have no idea how to fly, and they go, hey, can you help us out? And we're like, sure. And they go, just be on the lookout for other planes. I thought, this is not good. See, I, I, had, I had taken some really bad ideas because I was in a place that I was desperate to get out of. And it was a bad idea to fly home. Well, eventually we did get home, but I figured out instead of looking for other planes, I didn't want to sit there and be anxious for two or three hours. So I just thought the best thing for me to do is actually, I'm just going to fall asleep. Because if something happens and I won't know, I'll just wake up and there will be Jesus. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But if you're in a place that you don't want to be, you will tend to believe anything that gets you out is a good idea. I want to ask you to think about where the church is. Not this building, not even us as a people, but like where we are as the people of God in our culture. I think the church is in a place that it doesn't want to be. There was times where the church had a voice that the rest of the culture listened to. There were times when the church was looked at with respect. But I think now the church is a place where it doesn't want to be, and I think we could call that place cultural exile. And what I mean by that is while the church is growing in Africa, the church is growing in China, the church is growing in South America, in North America and Europe, the church has been on steady decline for decades. One of my friends, Michael Graham, just wrote a book called The Great Dechurching about how the church is in a place it doesn't want to be because people are leaving the church in droves. 
there in about 2015, there was a rise of a category called the spiritual nuns. And it wasn't nuns like the women who serve in the Catholic Church. It was nuns as in those who have no religious affiliation. They're not interested in church because they don't really care how you categorize them when it comes to spirituality. Not only that, but after COVID happened, we saw a lot of people just feel inconvenienced by going to church and they never returned. Not only that, but we found that the culture is pretty disinterested in the Christian viewpoint when it comes to ethics and morality. In other words, no one really cares what the Christian church thinks is right or wrong anymore. And now you've probably felt that in your personal lives. You felt as a Christian, you're kind of in the culture, but in a way that you don't really want to be. Because when you talk about what it means to follow Jesus, you're often misunderstood. When you talk about what's right and wrong, you're misunderstood. Your, your friends aren't necessarily interested in your faith. Some of you watch as your children seem to lose interest in following Jesus, and that's really hard. That's really hard. And, and as we're in a place that's unfamiliar, one thing that happens is it's completely confusing for us as the church. We're in this time of confusion. We're in this loss of status. And when we're in a place we don't want to be, we can tend to listen to bad ideas in order to get out of that place to the place we really want to be. And I think one of the places that we have tended to listen to is politics. I think that we've looked at politics as if it offers salvation. You know, when, when Donald Trump was elected in 2016, many people looked at him as if he was a savior. But also many people on the left have left their faith behind and put all their hope in politics. See, exile for the church brings us to this place where we're unfamiliar, we're confused, we don't want to be there, and so we'll listen to other ideas rather than listening to Jesus. But here's the thing we learn from Jeremiah 29. To thrive in exile, the church must let go of bad ideas. To thrive, the people of God must rethink who they are. They must learn to pursue new things, and they must cultivate resilience as disciples of Jesus. Let's talk about what that means. First, in our text, we're told that the people of God were told to plant themselves as resident aliens in Babylon. Now, many of them wanted to just return. They didn't like being in Babylon. They weren't familiar with it. The politics were not in their favor. They were ready to go back home. And we're reminded that when we talk about exile, it's not just a season that we're going through personally. This was a historical reality for a group of people. We see that in French painter James Tissot's painting, Flight of the Prisoners. You can see that this painting was depicting the Jewish people leaving Jerusalem after things were set on fire and being taken to Babylon. This was an event that was a deep trauma for the people of God. The walls of the city were burned. The temple was taken down. Crimes were committed against them. They were forced to journey a 1,000 miles to somewhere they didn't want to be. 
And as soon as they got there, their first question was, how long? God wins us over. Something went wrong with your promises. Something malfunctioned here. When do we get back home? And now there were prophets from the people of God who went to Babylon, and the prophets told the people, don't unpack your bags. We're going home pronto. God says we're leaving soon. But these were false prophets. They gave good news, but the good news wasn't true. In fact, God calls out these prophets in verse 8 through 9. He says, for this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. God is saying through Jeremiah, it's not going to be over quickly. You're going to be living in exile. The circumstances of this passage are that Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem and he writes a letter to the people of God in Babylon. Now, you you can assume that they're going to be angry, that Jeremiah gets to stay in Jerusalem and he's telling them they're going to stay in Babylon, but it is the truth of what God says in verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. But then this this, this verse here, verse 4 says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported. God deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, maybe they would have at least listened when Jeremiah said this was Nebuchadnezzar's doing, but when he says that God's really behind the deportation, how in the world can God put us in this place? Well, the reason they're in this place is because they broke covenant with God. They sinned against him. And God was going to discipline them by letting Babylon capture them, but it wasn't pointless. He was going to use them in in Babylon to be a blessing to the nations like he had promised Abraham. But this would require Israel to see themselves differently. It would require them to see themselves as resident aliens. Resident aliens. Now, resident is someone who lives somewhere. We're residents of South Broward. But an alien is someone who's not from there, and therefore they have a different way of doing things. The people of God were called to be residents in Babylon, but to keep being the people of God, even though Babylon served different gods. In fact, throughout the Bible, dozens and dozens of people have been called to be resident aliens. Abraham, Joseph in Egypt, Ruth, Mary and Joseph. But it was still hard for them to think about doing that in Babylon. And the Bible uses the city of Babylon as a metaphor for everything that's evil in the world. And God expects the people to plant themselves down and learn to live in Babylon? Jeremiah says, yes. See yourself as resident aliens, but plant yourself Verse 5 and 6, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters 
multiply there and do not decrease. You are going to be in exile for a while in Babylon. So unpack your bags and get about life. Settle in, build yourself a house, grow your family, grow food, do the normal stuff that people do, but do it while in exile. I think for us, it's helpful to think about that for us as Christians in our culture today, to plant ourselves as resident aliens. Sometimes we forget that God plants us in a specific time, in a specific place, for a specific season. Sometimes we are always looking for the next thing rather than planting ourselves down where God has us. And we will listen to people that say, your next season is right around the corner, but maybe God has it for us to be there a while. But we also have to realize that we plant as residents. That that means that we should take up living in a specific place. One of the errors of the church is that we can be this holy huddle. Like we can get to know everybody really well here and forget to reach people out there. We can forget to reside in the cities that we actually live in. We can never we can forget to learn how to take up life in Babylon. We're to plant as residents, but also aliens. The other end of the spectrum is that the church can live out in the culture and totally lose their identity as the people of God. We can look like everyone else. But as the church feels in exile in this moment, we're called to plant ourselves wherever God has planted us, do so as residents of that place, but as aliens as well, those who are different from everybody else. Because as we do that, God has called us to pursue a missionary calling. God sent the people of God almost a 1,000 miles. They thought they were captives they went as missionaries. In verse 7, it says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Now, that phrase, well-being, that's the Jewish word. That's the Hebrew word, shalom. And it means wholeness and harmony. It means anywhere that something's not going the way it should, shalom means fixing it, restoring it, making it better. And they're called to bring shalom into Babylon. They're called to bring restoration and to pursue that. One of the challenges for us as Christians is we forget to pursue the well-being of our city because we're so caught up in pursuing other things. We're pursuing our own comforts, or, or we're pursuing our own lives, or, or even we, we get so caught up in the culture wars that we pursue the culture wars, and winning those rather than pursuing the peace of the city. Or other times, we can want to be acceptable to the world, and so we change the church to what the culture wants rather than being a light as a church to the culture. We are called to bring restoration and shalom into a broken world. And I'm encouraged as I look around our city because I see other churches doing this. Just down the road, Hollywood Community Church has a food bank that anyone can go to if they need food and get it. 
To me, I'm like, that's shalom. That's a little bit of God's beauty and restoration breaking in. This church, Park Road Prez, that we meet in on Sunday nights, they have a they have a free ESL class. English is a second language. You can come and learn English, and you don't have to pay a dime. And they see that as an opportunity to both share the love of Jesus, but also bring restoration and peace in places that are broken. There are other churches in our city that mentor at-risk youth. And our church in the past has done a Saturday neighborhood cleanup and visit kids in the youth detention center and done the Angel Tree Project because we're called to be agents of God in the city. We're called to give these little pictures of shalom, restoring the city. And you are too. South Florida can be so transient and so consumeristic that we kind of think about the place we are and getting something from it rather than giving ourselves to it. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to pursue the peace of the city. That, that might mean opportunities to share Jesus on your street and at your place of work, but it also might mean just doing your job really well in the name of Jesus. It, it, it might mean bringing a little picture of restoration, a little picture of shalom, and we kind of hear that and we'll go, well, what does that do? If I do my job well or if I love my neighbor, that's not going to change the world. And then so we give ourselves an excuse for not doing it. But, but maybe if we're really in exile as the church, maybe that's where we start and what we're meant to do. Because little pictures of shalom don't change the world, but they do offer the world something different to look at. Stephen Poss, who's an author, thinks that what we're called to do as the church in exile is to bring restoration and peace and reconciliation and love. And these, these things aren't big things, they're little things, but it's like works of art that our neighbors get to look at and go, huh, what is going on there? When you feed the homeless, it's a little picture of shalom. When you forgive your enemy, it's a little picture of shalom. Stephen Paz says it this way, Christians are invited to cut out small niches of hope, reconciliation, forgiveness, beauty, and health in the world. There is something entirely non-instrumental in a work of art. It is just there. It's not good for anything. It just radiates goodness, beauty, challenge, and mystery. We are not to expect that a beautiful sculpture will change the world into a paradise, but it will give the world something to think and talk about just by being there, inviting love and longing. So this may be our task, a mission of small things, things that will be redeemed when Jesus returns. What are the small things that you could do that are just little pieces of shalom, little pictures of God working that won't change the world, that probably won't even change the way that your workplace is or your home is or your street is, but it gives people something to think about. What would that be like for you, for those of you who are teachers, for those of you who are fast food workers or moms or dads or who have gig jobs or who have difficult neighbors? What does it look like for you to produce little pictures of shalom in Babylon? 
Now, it might seem like, gosh, that's a lot of hard work to do. And that's why he tells us that we have to pray. In verse 7, we're reminded, pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to, it, but pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. We don't pray perfectly, but we try and pray faithfully. At the dinner table, in our car, during conversations with friends as we talk about the broken things in our city and our world, we pray. We pray for our city. We pray for our culture. We pray for the Middle East. And as we pray, we're reminded that though we tend to say God's not here, when we pray, we're reminded that God is here because he's in us and we're here in Babylon. We're the ones who are representing God in our city. And as we begin to understand that, it helps us become resilient disciples. That's the last point for tonight, resilient disciples. That's what what Paul is going to be talking about a little bit later. We're going to have some discussion and dinner. I think that when we're in places we don't want to be, we think the key to resilience is getting out of that place. Like I can snap back as long as I can get out of this season or out of this location. And we often come to Jeremiah 29, 11 with those expectations. So we come and we have plans for God. And then we read them into that verse and we go, well, why didn't God come through with my plans? Well, it says in the verse, it's not our plans, it's God's plans. The I is not me or you, the I is God. For I know the plans I have for you. And he's not saying you as an individual. He's saying you as the people of God. I know the plans that I have for my people in Babylon. This is the Lord's declaration. Though you're in exile, I do have plans for your well-being, not ultimately for your disaster, but plans that will give you a hope and a future. When we understand the context of this verse, it's so much more powerful because it's not a personal guarantee of God's blessing on my plans, but rather it's something for us together as the people of God that will give us resilience. Now, I looked it up on the internet, and the internet said that resilience is the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. It's toughness. It's the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. It's elasticity. I like that. Thank you, Internet. As we look at this verse, we understand the plans are not our plans, but God's plans. And ultimately, what he was trying to get them to recover was a sense that God had put them in Babylon for a purpose. And as they understood that they weren't there accidentally, but God still had them in his plans and promises, it was to help them snap back. It was to help them overcome the challenges and recover quickly from the difficulty. See, the resiliency for us as disciples doesn't necessarily come from a change of circumstances. It doesn't come from a different position in society. In other words, we don't need society to think well of Christians in order to be good Christians. But also this, it has nothing to do with our performance before God. The whole reason they're in Babylon is because they've utterly failed God. 
They've been idolatrous. They've been unfaithful. And yet God is giving them something to believe in his plans and his promises. And when we read that in context, we'll realize the key for resiliency isn't getting out of the place we want to be, we don't want to be. Rather, it is knowing that God's present with us, and so are his plans and promises, even when we can't get out of where we don't want to be. Verse 10, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years from Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place, which is Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your your fortunes and gather you from all nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to this place, Jerusalem, from which I deported you. And 70 years later, God did. That's what the book of Nehemiah is about. 70 years later, God restored them to Jerusalem. Read Daniel 9. In Daniel 9, Daniel realizes it's been 70 years, and he prays for God to answer his plans and promises, and God does, because God's faithful, and we can trust his plans and his promises. And see, ultimately, this story and this verse remind us that the place we want out of isn't just a bad season of life, nor is it being in cultural exile. The place that we really want to be out of is our condemnation, is condemnation for our sin against God. The place that we really want to be out of is facing death without any hope at all. The place we really want to be out of is that place of separation from God in eternity apart from him. But God's plans for us, his promises to us, are that when we believe in Jesus Christ, his son, we are restored from exile. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die so that in him, we can live. In Jesus, we're restored from the exile caused by our sin. In Jesus, we have peace and shalom with God as Father. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of death. In Jesus, we have a future right now and forever with God. Doesn't God have good plans for me? Yes! But we know that more because he sent his son Jesus to die for our sin. God's plan might be blessings and it might be gifts and it might be a new season for you, maybe. I don't know, but I know that he loves you and I know that he has good plans for you because he sent you his son. This is what the whole New Testament is trying to convey to us. Colossians 1 says, the father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Here it is. He has rescued you out of the place of the domain of darkness and transferred us into a new place, the kingdom of the son that he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Your resilience as a disciple isn't when you get out of the place that you don't want to be in anymore. The church's resilience isn't when it gets out of cultural exile. Our resilience as disciples of Jesus comes from trusting Jesus and his plans 
and his promises for us. As the worship team comes back forward, hear the lyrics of the song that we're going to sing. Jesus, our Savior, suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. You rose in glorious life forever seated high. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Whatever season you're in, whatever place you're in that you don't want to be in, or even as you look at the place the church is in and struggle with that, know that God is for us. He has good plans for us as his people, and his promises are true, not because of our performance, but rather because of he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.